As you know, we're in a series called What's in Your Wallet? And we're talking about money. We're talking about how it influences us and how our lives integrate with this really important subject that Jesus talked about a lot and that is talked about through the whole Bible. Uh, first week that we had together, we talked about what's in your wallet, your ID, your identity, how you think about yourself, what you understand about what God says about you, about who you are, determines a lot about how you deal with money. And your identity is really an important subject in the way you see um, God's provision for you, how you are a steward of it, uh, whether you have a poverty mentality or whether you feel like you have a loving Heavenly Father who provides. Those are important things. Week two was money uh, last week with um, Marty, and uh, he talked about how to deal with money in terms of God's relationship with you, and, and he talked strongly about tithing and about giving and generosity and how important that is about the storehouse. And then this week, we're going to talk about the other thing that's in your wallet, um, and that is credit cards. Ooh, credit cards. Often, most of us have credit cards in our wallet, and uh, I, I think we have to, we have to embrace uh, an understanding of what God says about debt and uh, how that works itself out in our culture. And so before we do that, I'm going to let you watch. I think we got a little video here. I'm going to let you watch it here. I just, um, I, think it's, I think it's really funny. Worldwide Interweb Original. have no reason to show that to you other than you need to smile. <laughs> Not really. As I was, I, I, Nate Emmert showed me that this last week and I was like, I, I, as I was preparing this message, I thought of it because I feel like in terms of debt and in terms of our finances, a lot of us just feel like we're on a treadmill that we can't stay on. It's just running, running, running. We keep falling down. We keep trying to get up, keep trying to, to make 
the right decisions. Uh, if debt is uh, falling down on a treadmill, then uh, saving is like running a five-minute mile. And uh, today I'm going to give you some biblical perspective on uh, debt and encourage you to run towards saving and giving instead of debt and slavery. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, it's really uh, it's important that you understand I, I've been all over the map. Amy and I, <laughs> over the years, 22 years of marriage, wrestling through uh, a, a large family, I mean, we've been in debt. We've been completely out of debt. Um, and what I can tell you is it's a lot better to be completely out. <laughs> but there's an emotional, mental, and spiritual freedom that occurs when we are living within our means. And slaying the consumer dragon of debt most of us have wrestled with living within our means, and it's a discipline, and, uh, and it's, it's something we develop. It's an art form. It's learned, and so let's take a look at the, the scriptures. If you want to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to look at two scriptures in Deuteronomy. The first one is chapter 8, verse 17, and I'd love for you to turn there with me in your Bible. Deuteronomy eight seventeen says, you may say to yourself, self, my power and, the, and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. This is a... I think, a pivotal passage for us to understand. And it says, first of all, that you've got to remember the Lord. <clears throat> you may think that all this stuff comes from your hands, comes from your ability to produce something. You may think that this is all up to you, but you need to remember that the Lord is involved here and interested in you and what's going on in your life. And it is not your strength that produces this wealth. I think it's a... <clears throat> It's a really important idea that if we will just believe that it's him who gives us this, the ability to produce whatever we can produce, if it's him who gives us this ability, then it changes the perspective of how we see the wealth that we receive because it's from him and not from us. And I want to highlight in this passage, it also, it also seems to indicate that this wealth has spiritual characteristics spiritual characteristics and criteria. It has to do with a covenant that God made with his people. A covenant that God desires to have with you and it continues. So the problem for most people is they, 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 they use money incorrectly. So there's four ways, four ways that we use money. And I want to highlight those. Four ways we use money. Look at them right here. It's we spend it. We owe it. We save it or we give it. That's really about it. If you look at spend it, it's about your lifestyle. We, we, we choose a certain lifestyle level and then we just start spending. Uh, often we live uh, beyond our means and then that uh, creates a certain debt and we, we, or we enter into obligations 
Um, we can save money. We can sock it away. We can put it under our mattress. We can, we can uh, have it automatically taken out of our check every month, which I highly recommend. <clears throat> or, or we can give it. But here, here's, 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 this is out of order, and I think the Bible gives us a certain order that we're going to discuss today. And the order that God wants for us is he wants us to be willing to give. He wants us to be generous people. This is what Pastor Marty talked about last week is that God is first in every way. And when we give to him first through tithing, then we establish that he's in charge. We establish that he's the one who's providing so we can we give it, we save it. Giving and saving should be the first two things that we do with every check that comes in. It's a biblical concept. I'm going to show you some ideas behind it. Number three, we spend it. We choose a lifestyle based on what's left after giving and saving. And then finally, we may enter into some obligations where we owe something. And so, they, even though people approach this, um, this, these four uses of money in the wrong order, here, here's, here's what happens when we do this. When we, when we use the wrong order, we succumb to greed instead of saving for a rainy day. When we uh, have the wrong order, we develop a poverty mentality because we're always trying to catch up. When we have the wrong order, we let selfishness begin to flourish while generosity sort of starves. We, we, we become generous at the end after we've used everything to see if we ha- you know, have anything left and then we give it away if we have it. We live, end up living beyond our means. We, we justify it <clears throat> somehow. We mortgage tomorrow to live today. We mortgage tomorrow to live today. Did you know the word mortgage actually, the origin of it has to do with death? Mortgage, it's from an old French word, mortgage. <clears throat> it just literally means death pledge. <laughs> death pledge. No, it's not what you think. It's not, it doesn't, it's not talking about the evils of mortgage. It's just simply, here, here's, here's how it works. It's the root word. <clears throat> it's, uh, the, it means the deal dies when the debt is paid. Right? So the agreement dies when the debt is paid. Everything, it, it, it dies. Or when the payment fails. In other words, when the debtor stops paying or can't pay. Or when the loan sharks come and try to extract payment with the muscle. So let's talk about some poor ways that we use money. Poor ways that we use money. Let's talk about credit cards. Credit cards make good servants but poor masters. Credit cards make good servants but poor masters. Studies show that the simple act of having a credit card causes us to purchase more. They did a study, did some research. Three months, one group had cash only, and they went and did all their spending. The other group had credit cards only, and the expenditures went up 20% with the people with credit cards. Isn't that amazing? A fifth more spending. So here's what I'd like to say to you. I don't, I don't think there's any wise ways 
to use credit cards, there's only less unwise ways. <laughs> there's, there's only less unwise ways. In and of themselves, they're not necessarily wrong. I have a credit card. My wife and I um, use them. And sometimes you can really leverage uh, credit cards to do something really wonderful. You can establish points. You can buy airline tickets. You can do all kinds of things. Uh, I was talking to a guy this week, and he was talking about how he, he's never, he hasn't paid for a plane ticket in years and years because he just funnels everything through his credit card and, and, and works and, and develops points and then takes vacations with his family that way. It's the undisciplined use that is the problem. Uh, there's, a, there's a man that called the police one day, and he reported that all his wife's credit cards had been stolen. And then he, he added, now, don't look too hard for the thief because he's charging less than my wife ever did. <laughs> <laughs> Research indicates that most households tend to spend 10% more than their income, no matter what their income level. At every income level, they always spend 10% more. You think that it's a problem for you because of your income level. I just need, if I just had this much more money, if I just had this, I mean, all you have to do is, is wa watch a little TV and see all the Hollywood people, all the, all the people who've made tons of money over the years and they end up being bankrupt. Why is that? Because it's human nature. You just want to spend. You want to you stretch. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is slave to the lender. Proverbs is full of truisms like this. This doesn't necessarily mean that you can never borrow. Okay, you need to hear, you need to hear that. This doesn't mean you can never borrow. I know Dave Ramsey says don't ever, ever, ever do it. But I, but I think that there's an interesting thing that we'll look at here. This just establishes a truism. You have to know that this is the way the world works. The way the world works is the rich rule over the poor and the borrower serves or is slave to the lender. So is it ever, ever okay to have debt? Is it ever okay to have debt? Here's my answer. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> if your amount owed exceeds the asset value of an item. Now the problem with American culture is we don't have the discipline to understand this or to enact it or to, um, or to just limit ourselves to that. So here's, here's what I think is important for us to understand. Borrow for appreciating assets like a house or an education. Save for depreciating assets like um, a car or furniture. Never, never, everybody say never. Never borrow for the three V's. Three V's. You know what the three V's are? Here they are. Ready? Vehicles, vacations, or a very nice couch. <laughs> ne never borrow, never go into debt for any of these things. These are not worth it. I love Dave Ramsey is, I mean, we, we, we have Financial Peace University here. Uh, I think they meet on Wednesday nights. And they, they, it's, a, it's an incredible class. If you're having trouble, you should join this class. Um, they, they start every semester, and you go through these nine weeks, and it transforms people's lives. But he tells a story about a guy who was, 
he was an investment guy and he was in his 20s and he was really motivated and he, he wanted to make a lot of money and he promised himself that at a, as soon as he hit $100,000 that he would buy himself a brand new Mercedes. Mercedes. It's a status symbol. It, the year was 1986. And he, and he went to the dealer and he hit, he hit 100000 very early on in his 20s and he was very gifted and he went, to his, 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 his wife said, you know, congratulations, you need to go do it. And so he went to the car dealer and he looked at it and he talked to the dealer. Of course, the dealer looks at the 20-something-year-old and says, what, what are you doing? He says, I got the cash right here. He's like, let me show you the way. And so he showed him all the, all the models and he bought the model. He, he wanted to buy the model he wanted. He wasn't, he wasn't quite sure, right? He was, he was just hesitant enough where the, the, that the, the dealer <clears throat> said, why don't you take it home overnight? tricky they always do it because once you it's in your possession it's hard to give it back so he took it home and he got home and uh, you know all the neighbors came out Ooh, ah they rubbed on it you know and looked at it it was very nice it was beautiful and then uh that night late at night he decided to get his calculator out and he began to calculate what things meant forty thousand dollars was the price of the car and so he got really full of angst and decided he couldn't do it. So he, put the, he took the car back and he bought an old beater for $6,000. And then he, I was like, that's a nice car to me. And $6,000, especially in 1986, that was a nice car then. Um, <laughs> and so he put the $40,000 instead in a mutual fund. And he didn't touch it. He didn't touch it. Twelve years later, he was pulling up to a stoplight, and he looked over, and there was the car. He rolled down his window and said, hey, sir, sir, it looks like a nice car. Did, where, where'd you get it? Did you buy it? He said, I got a great deal. It was incredible. Same year car. Twelve-year-old car. He said, how much did you pay for it? He said, $4,000. $4,000. So the difference, this guy, of course, he knew he'd made the right decision. He put his $40,000 in a mutual fund, never touched it again, didn't add to it, ended up with $300,000. Twelve years later. $4,000 he could have gotten that car. It's never a good idea, really, to, to go into debt for these things. There's another funny thing. The only reason a great many American families don't own an elephant is that they've never been offered an elephant for a dollar down and easy weekly payments. <laughs> so here's how I think it should work, all right? Here's how I think it should work. Rules for credit cards. Have as, as few as necessary, generally one. As few as necessary, generally one. Use only for budgeted items. Budgeted doesn't mean you hope you have money for it. What this necessitates is you have to have a budget to actually plan from. If you don't have a budget, we'll talk about that next week. We're going to talk about budgeting next week. <clears throat> you have to pay in full every month. <clears throat> That's the healthiest way to use credit cards. <clears throat> and so co-signing is also always risky. The other party's always been deemed a risk. You're responsible for the loan if the other party fails to pay. And here's the real problem. You may suffer relationally as well as financially. 
you'll damage the relationships. Not only will you suffer financially, but you'll be damaged relationally. So you never co-sign unless you're willing to face the possible consequences. You know, um, when your kids are going through something and you're, I mean, there, there are moments where you're going to be willing to do it. And it's, it's, it's not the end of the world. But you need to be very careful. Proverbs 22, 26 says, Do not be a man who strikes hands in a pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from you. So here's how I think God uses money, all right? So God uses money. Turn a, f- a few pages over to Deuteronomy 15, and we're going to read this little passage here. And I want, you to, I want you to read this as understanding how God is defining the community of believers. God defining the community of believers. Deuteronomy 15, verse 1, it says, At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. <laughs> that is a great idea. Let's enact this. This is good. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. God loves canceling debts. That's what he's into. That's why the, 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 the model, the picture, the illustration of Jesus canceling a debt that we could not pay for sin is so profound. So here it is, verse 5, or verse 3, he says, you, requi- you may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your brother owes you. That's interesting, isn't it? However, there should be no poor among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and be, are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord God will bless you as he's promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. Obviously, God's not opposed to lending or borrowing. He just doesn't want his people to be enslaved by it. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. That's God's desire. That was his plan here. And it, I, I also think it's, uh, you know, as we look at it in our modern day, through our modern day lens, you know, the, the church of Jesus Christ is the place where a storehouse is formed. A storehouse, a place where things can be stored. And, and uh, um, we, we, every month, we, we give away a ton of money to benevolence for people within our church. People who need help. And it is a challenging thing, and we always run out. We always run out of enough money for the needs that are there. Now, here, here's what I have to tell you. God's plan, God's design is that God's people all choose to tithe, and then God's house never has any needs. That's the way it works. If we all choose to tithe, to give, then we, we can take care of everybody within our community and we can take care of people outside our community too, I bet. So here we go, verse 7. If there is a poor man among you, your brothers, in any of the towns of the land your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted, everybody say hard-hearted, or tight-fisted. Yes, yeah, say it, tight-fisted. <laughs> 
tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. Now, here it is. Here's the human nature. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. In other words, oh, they, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lend this guy for some money, but man, the He's not going to be able to pay it back because the year for canceling debts is coming. I'm, I am not going to borrow, lend. I'm not going to lend him any money. God says that that will result, that kind of thinking results in sin. You got to be careful because it will, it will lead you to a sinful place. What is the sin there? I mean, what's, what's the big deal? I don't want to. Yeah, it's, it's. It's, it's thinking that I have to accumulate. I have to, I have to keep this because if I give this away and God cancels the debt, I won't have what I need. The sin is really about not trusting God to be provider. So then he says, um, verse 10, he says, give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because... Of this, the Lord God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. This is the context. God wants, God wants his people not to live in perpetual debt. He wants it to come to an end. He wants them to live in that freedom. He wants them to lend to those who are in need. Notice that they're lending to each other. Right? So, so what, his, what his desire is, he doesn't want long-term debt for people where they feel like they're overwhelmed, like they can't uh, survive, like they can't live in freedom. He wants us to be open-handed and open-hearted. And any teaching on finances has to be integrated with all the principles of Scripture. Forgiveness, love, kindness, morality, uh, as well as money. And in fact, these are integrated. This is why Matthew 6.21 says that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. <clears throat> Where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Finances and faith go together. Finances and faith always go together. Check this out. Compassion. Proverbs 19 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they've done. Generosity. The, Psalm 37 says, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Our character, 1 Timothy, Paul writes, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Into many, <clears throat> and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Money tests our character. Trust, here's Proverbs 3, says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Kingdom purpose, kingdom community. Matthew 6 says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but first seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's what I want to convince you to consider today is that we are called to giving and saving versus debt and spending. Giving and saving versus debt and spending. 
far-reaching implications here. But we have, to, we have to embrace some ideas. Philippians 4, verse 12, here's what it says. It says, I know what it is to be in need. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Here's what contentment is. You ready? It's not having what you want. It's wanting what you have. Not having what we want, but wanting what we have. It's, it's, a, it's believing that God has provided something for you. And then trusting in him and finding contentment in where he is. Now, why is that so hard for you and me? Because we live in a culture that constantly bombards us with dissatisfaction. Over and over again. Pastor Ross, you don't know. You're, you, I'm, I, I'm not making enough money. I need, okay, all right. Great. God has a job. God has provision for you. There are things you probably must do to improve your skills and to make sure that you can receive the financial remuneration that you need. What God wants to guard against here is you living above your means and going into debt. Deep, dark, <laughs> dreary debt. And so what's, what, what he's talking about is delayed gratification versus immediate gratification. Delayed gratification versus immediate gratification. All across the scriptures, the Christian life revolves around these ideas. If you think about uh, verses like 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, For our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweigh them all. Of course, Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven. Because this is a place that keeps them safe until you arrive. Psalm 27, you know what it says? It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Everybody say wait. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting and so we give in to debt because we don't like waiting. But immediate gratification gets you what you want now, and you pay later. All right, look at, read this with me. It's in your notes. Delayed gratification, or sorry, intimate, immediate gratification gets you what you want and now, and you pay later. Delayed gratification still gets you what you want, but builds your character as well. There's only one instant remedy in the Bible. One, in, one thing that's instant, you know what it is? It's forgiveness. When you repent and believe, you repent and believe there is, there is this instantaneous forgiveness. <laughs> hey, hey, I got news for you. Everything else is process. <laughs> you got a long journey. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to make time your friend. Make time your friend. How do you make time your friend? Savings makes time your friend, but debt makes time your enemy. The power of waiting is called, what we, uh, in our modern day, it's called compound interest. Woo, compound interest. Compound interest is a fantastic idea that we all need to embrace. Check out my example here. $5,000 borrowed at 18% interest, $100 a month, takes you 92 months <laughs> To pay it and it costs nine thousand dollars. 
$5,000 saved at 4% interest. So the exact opposite, $100 per month time, uh, over seven and a half years, roughly, uh, you save 11000 11054 Here's Here's the, okay, so are you tracking with me? Did you, you can write these in. The felt difference, all right, the felt difference, you don't get the toy right away. <laughs> okay, but the real difference is, add them up, 9313, put it in there. 9313, that's the cost of the, the loan, plus 11,054, that's savings. If you, it, that's, that's what you get if you invested it at 4%. $20,000 is the swing. $9,000 in debt or 11,000 to the good. It's a powerful, powerful concept uh, that we have to keep reminding ourselves of. And I think it's godly. I think, here's, here's, what, here's what I believe. It's a universal truth, right? Here, go with me. Universal truth, you know what it is? Little things over time become big things. Have you ever had a grudge against somebody that just seemed kind of small, just kinda seemed like a little offense, but you didn't deal with it? What happens to it? It grows. You know how a family starts? With one baby. <laughs> oh, for the days of one baby. I have five children now. A baby grows a little bit. Little things, little things develop. Little things become big things over time. We planted a little church. We had 35 people in the Marriott Hotel trying to figure out if God would do something with one chapel. Little things become big things over time. So how do you do it? How do you get out of debt? Here it is. I'm just going to run, run down some ideas with you. Here it is. Number one, I want you to keep giving. Oh, Pastor Russ, I don't think I can give. I, 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 I owe too much money. So here's what you're saying when you do that. You actually are saying, I don't trust God to get me out of the mess that I've gotten myself into. Hey, did you know that the nature of the gospel is him getting out, you out of messes that he didn't get you into, but you got you into? <laughs> do you know this is, the, this is the idea of the gospel message? And so when you give, what you do is you, you express faith in him and his love and his mercy and his kindness, and, and you believe that it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. So you keep giving. If you don't know, if, you, if you're like, okay, I've never tithed in my life. I don't know. This is crazy. I don't know if I can do this. I'm sure Marty said this last week. But you, you start with 1% for one month. Then you go to 2%. You do something intentional to get, you, to get your mindset that God is involved in your finances, that he is interacting, that your finances and your spiritual life are interrelated. Second, you make a list. Make a list of the, all your debts and all your assets. You've got to know where you are. Most people don't even know where they are financially. They're overspending every month, and they don't even know it because they've never created a budget. It's a powerful idea. Hatch a plan. Establish a payoff schedule, okay? One of the things that happens when you start paying off debt is when you pay one off, you don't just absorb that money into your lifestyle again. You use whatever you were paying, 
and you put it on the on the next credit card or the next debt you have. And so you're you're creating a snowball effect where you're getting bigger, bigger numbers paying off more debt. You start with a one credit card, you go to the next one, you you carry it on. This is an important way to begin to to pay off all the debt that you've accumulated. Number four, build an emergency fund. I, I hear people say all the time, I, I, can't, I can't build a $1,000 emergency fund. That's impossible. I can't do that at all. Well, actually, you can. If you just take the 10% you're overspending and you put it, <laughs> it's a, it, just take the 10% you're overspending and put it um, into a, a savings account for a few months and you will end up with a $1,000 emergency fund. And the reason you do this is because it protects you from going into more debt when something happens. Number six, or number five, make a change. Make a change. Make a permanent change to your lifestyle. You, you got to stop eating out all the time. You got to eat at home. You got to stop drinking your tall cinnamon dolce lattes <laughs> from Starbucks. Uh, just cut out the Starbucks. Cut out the eating out. Maybe you have to cancel cable for a while. It's not good for you anyway. Communicate. Communicate with your creditors. Don't ignore them. Sometimes you need help. You need somebody to work with. This is why Financial Peace University is part of what we do. We believe in this. And so uh, the, but there's tons of organizations that will help you, debt relief organizations. You need to be careful as you get into them. Make sure that they are not demanding payment up front and that they're telling you you should communicate. And that don't, anybody who tells you you shouldn't communicate, that's, that's the wrong company to work with. Communicate with your creditors. Don't ignore them. Work, begin to work with them. Gain confidence in this. Verse 7, no new debt. <laughs> Some people just move it around to another credit card with 0% interest. Don't, don't do any more debt. All new, no new debt. And then finally, stick to it. Enough said. That's why I've given you a round to it this morning. Everybody wants to, everybody, look, pick up your little, see your little coin here? I'm, I'm going to have you take this home. This is called a round to it because everybody wants to get around to it. <laughs> yeah, I want to get out of debt. I'll get around to it. I've just given you one. <laughs> everybody wants to start tithing. I'll get around to it. I just gave you one. You take this home and you begin to remind yourself of who you are. You begin to believe that God is interested in what's going on in your life and wants to provide for you. You begin to make, take the steps towards getting out of debt. And here's the key question. Here's really the key question, all right? The key question for all of us is, how much is enough? How much is enough? Until you ask this question and answer it and define it and say, I can be satisfied with what God has given me, you will always struggle with debt. Last thing I'll say to you, and then we'll pray. Living within our means is an indication of trust in God. It's an indication of thanks to God. And it's an indication of stewardship of what God has given us.